Welcome to Life on the Illinois Prairie. Your host is Wendy Fleming Dexter, and after 30 years living in small town Illinois, she has stories to tell. Past cornfields and factories, into the heart of Amish country. There's more here than what meets the eye, far beyond what you think you know. So buckle up and stay tuned. This is Life on the Illinois Prairie. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Life on the Illinois Prairie. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming Dexter, and I'm absolutely delighted if you've stopped by today. With me is a local historian, Carolyn Cloyd, and I'm so excited to have Carolyn here. She's just a wealth of information, and um, last week was the host at her family gathering, and Carolyn gave a seminar there, and she's going to share some of that information with us today. Thank you, Carolyn, for coming on the show in such pretty pretty short notice, actually. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad that you agreed to be here. Um, would you like to give us a start us out with a little bit of background information about yourself, please? Yes. Well, I guess I would call myself an amateur historian. I've loved hi- history all of my life, and uh, I don't know about a decade ago, I guess I really uh, got full-time into history, if you will. People always ask me what I do for fun, and I'm like, this is it. So (laughs) I love it, and I love to share history. And um, so this is kind of me in a nutshell. (laughs) Well, that's great for those of us who like to read about it but don't have the time or the inclination to do all the research that you do. Um, And it is really so much appreciated. I know it involves a a lot of digging around, which is probably much easier now than it used to be in years past. Yeah, it is. We used to, I always tell people when I first started, I would do it the old fashioned way, you know, travel around, go to libraries, dig up files, and it is a little easier. There's just so much more accessible online now. So uh, the, the flip side to that, though, is I find a lot of information. I'm going to sound arrogant when I say this, but information I feel is not correct because some of it mm-hmm. just seems very obvious it's not correct, but people find it and share it and spread it around. So, you know, it, it is easier, but you have to be careful. I have heard that too, that there are instances where there is a lot of um, misinformation and um, confusion caused by that. So you, you gave a seminar at the uh, host at our family gathering. And unfortunately, we were there, my husband and I were there Friday night, but we were not able to be there Saturday night. And I'm sorry, I would love to have seen your presentation. I'm sure there was there were big crowds, weren't there, at those uh, your seminar? Uh, there, were, there were big crowds at all of them, yes. It was really, <laughs> I have never been to one of these gatherings. So it was, it was a great thing to see. Yeah, I had never been either. And it was, uh, it was just a, a fascinating learning experience. Um, could you give a, just a kind of an overview of what you did talk about during your seminar about the uh, Omer Barnes family and Lizzie Barnes? Because I had not heard anything about either one of them. Yeah, uh, well, if I can tell you a little bit about how I even came across Dr. Barnes, mm-hmm, that'd be great. Uh, we had a museum in Arcola for a brief period of time. It's closed right now. Uh, We had some issues with the wall that uh, we were going to have to get fixed and we didn't have the money for it. So we have hopes of having another museum soon. So we're excited about that. So we hope to get back into that. But Bonnie Yoder from Arcola 
she had dropped off a box of items. I was not there the day she did it, but she dropped off this box of items. And when I went in, one of the volunteers said, oh yeah, you know, Bonnie Yoder brought these things over and I'm looking through it. And clearly it was, the items were artifacts from someone named Omer Barnes, Dr. Omer Barnes. And I had heard of him, but I didn't really know anything about him, but it was this eclectic collection of things. And I, I guess anybody's life, there's an eclectic collection of things, <laughs> right? But, you know, a pocket knife and a bullet and just various things. So as with everything that went in the museum, then I started doing research and I not only was blown away by Dr. Barnes, because he was such a character, <laughs> but what really, really struck me was when I was researching his family and I came across his a photo of his mother's tombstone. And after her name were the two initials MD, which oh. doesn't you know seem like much to anyone these days, I don't guess, but she was born in 1827. So yeah. I literally did a double take. Because I was like, what? Wait a minute. She was a doctor? And so um, Lizzie Barnes was uh, just, a, it was just uh, an amazing find on top of Omer Barnes. And then her husband was, was really, there's another story right there. So, Well, could you share some of those stories with us? Uh, I, I know I'd, I heard, I'd read one about a shooting of Dr. Barnes, but that's probably getting kind of in the middle of the whole situation, not starting at the beginning. Well, I, I will start with Elizabeth. So she was a hostedler. That's how this all came about. When I wrote this story, I didn't know anything about Jacob Hostedler. I'm sorry to the hostedlers, but I didn't. I'm not a hostedler. So, uh, but when I was reading that, I did go back a little ways, you know, all the way to Jacob and, and the history in America. But Elizabeth was born in 1827 in Indiana, uh, near New Washington, Indiana. And when she was 22, she married a young farmer named Jesse Combs. And they got married in 1850. And then in 1853, they had a daughter who they named Viola. And then in December 53, Jesse passed away. And in July of the following year, Viola passed away. And it's one of those things that I, I guess I always wonder about people when I'm researching them. I, I thought, I wonder if things would have been different had Jesse and Viola lived. But because mm -hmm. then she was on her own, she started teaching school. And then she started studying medicine with her uncle, Joseph Hostetler. Hmm. So the, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Joseph's story. He was no. the one that they called the the uh, boy preacher. Oh, okay, yes, he was, he was David, David. Yeah, yeah. He was he was gifted. Yes, a fascinating character. He ended up in Lovington, Illinois, and I'd like to know more about him. Hmm. Uh, he was a doctor, and he also was a preacher, and I believe he was very instrumental in the restoration um, movement in their church. But she started studying with him, and then in 1856, she and her brother William went to school at the Eclectic Medical College in Cincinnati, which at the time, the Eclectic community, they were more accepting of women, and they were the only medical schools that would allow women to attend. Hmm. So she went to school there and graduated with a medical degree in 57 which was just in time because that year the eclectic medical school stopped accepting women. So oh had she God. waited any longer, she would not have gotten in. So, 
So she became a physician. And shortly after she married a young man named uh, John Clinton Barnes, who was working as a postal clerk in Hanover, Indiana. And then he attended the same school she had attended and he became a physician too. So Elizabeth and John, they had three children, Elmer, and then they had twin boys, Omer and Calmer. And then, like I say, Omer Barnes and Calmer, they were, they were, they're just a remarkable story. So I feel like I'm not giving you a chance to say anything. Oh, no, no. People want to hear what you have to say. You have the interesting story. I just want to pull it out of you. (laughs) Okay. So let me talk about John Clinton a little bit, because when I was researching him, I came across the term philosophical anarchist. Oh, John Clinton was apparently a philosophical anarchist. And when I saw the term anarchist, I just thought in some cases that can have a negative connotation. Right. And I'm like, oh, boy, this is this is taking a turn. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. John Clinton Barnes, his mother was what they referred to as a free thinker. Uh She was very progressive. And John Barnes always said that his mother was the most intelligent woman he had ever known. And he Mm. would speak of her with a great deal of respect. Now, later on, after he married Elizabeth, he would always say that his wife was just as intelligent as his mother. So (laughs) he was was very progressive in that manner. And uh, so he was a philosophical anarchist, and he was a prolific writer, and he would write about his beliefs, which were that people should govern themselves. They should be able to live their lives based on their own analysis, how they think that they should live and what they think they should do. But Mm. unlike uh, uh, some anarchists, his beliefs were all peaceful. He was a very compassionate and peaceful man, and he always advocated for peace. He never owned a gun. He was very proud to say he never owned a gun. He didn't even Mm. like hunting. And he would always write he throughout the years he wrote massive amounts of uh articles and he always advocated peace in his articles he was also a christian he uh would quote the bible quite frequently so here's a philosophical anarchist quoting the bible (laughs) i just think that's interesting (laughs) does seem like an oxymoron doesn't it yeah. When, uh, years later, when after his wife died and he was getting older, he had moved. I'll talk about this a little bit, but they had lived in Hinesboro and he moved to Arcola for the last two years of his life. And he was living in the Arcola Hotel. And during that time, apparently Count Leo Tolstoy wrote to him in Arcola and told oh. him of how much he admired his work. Oh, my gosh. So. That's kind of a remarkable tidbit. Somebody in the uh, seminar the other day, they said, well, now, how on earth did Leo Tolstoy find John Clinton Barnes in Arcola, Illinois? And and I don't really know, but I suspect, you know, communities like that, how many anarchists are there? So they probably all had a network, you know, that they sort of knew of each other. So Mm -hmm. I just thought that was kind of remarkable. Oh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. So John and Elizabeth had three children in Indiana. There was Elmer and Elmer and Calmer. And then in 1866, they moved to the Hinesboro area. So now they're in our neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. And they were farming. They bought a lot of farmland. So they farmed. And then both John and Elizabeth were physicians. 
And so Elmer, the oldest son, late a few years, well, in 1883, John Clinton Barnes sold the farm, which was about three miles west of Hinesboro and moved into Hinesboro and started a lumber business. And Elmer, the oldest son, went into business with him. Mm-hmm. Elmer was born in 1861 and the twins were born in 65. So Elmer went into business with him. Calmer uh, uh, went to work for the railroad. He was working as a railroad agent. And then Elmer uh, obviously followed in his parents' footsteps. He went to medical school in, Louis- in Louisville, Kentucky, and graduated in 1890. And he came back and he started a medical practice in Arcola. And then in 1893, I think it was, the gold was found in the Klondike. Hmm. And apparently Elmer and Calmer had uh, gold fever because they gave up their, their work here in Illinois and they went up to the Klondike to search for gold. Hmm. And one of the things that they were doing was ferrying people across the White Horse Rapids there in the Klondike. And uh, one day, as family lore has it, they were ferrying some 50 tons of supplies across the river, and they were just easing their scow towards the bank, and Calmer's leg got caught in the ropes, and it amputated his leg uh, just below the knee. Then Omer in order to dress it, had to amputate a little bit more of it, which he did with his pocket knife and a very old pair of artery forceps. So then he dressed (laughs) the wound, and he and Calmer then started making their way back to Arcola. Apparently, this was a very arduous trip, because, as you can imagine, Calmer has had his leg amputated, and they're on horseback, they're on Heads, they're on trains. <laughs> so oh my the two brothers came back to Arcola. Yeah. And then is, Omar just picked up his Yeah, it's it's remarkable. Yeah. It is. It's hard to hard to picture. Yeah. So they came back, Omar started his medical practice again, and Calmer went back to working for the railroad. Again, family lore has it that Calmer whittled his own leg. <laughs> complete with a foot and that it was so good that people who did not know he had a wooden leg didn't know. <laughs> they just couldn't even tell. So, and, and, and as happens with a lot of twins, Omer and Calmer were very close all their lives. Um, uh, Omer was married twice. And in between marriages, Calmer came to live with him and their son it, it, and his son. So they lived close to each other all their lives, but, Dr. Barnes, when he got back, apparently wasn't quite over his gold fever because he patented a riverbed dredger to collect gold, and he patented the, that here in America and Canada. Oh. But then he went you know, about his business as a doctor, but he, he again, was a character. I, I wish I could show you the photos. There's some photos of him. He, would, he had an Indian motorcycle. And he was selling Indian motorcycles and he would zip about town on his Indian motorcycle and do his medical calls on his motorcycle. (laughs) So I've got some fabulous photos of him just riding his, his motorcycle around town. So Hmm. Uh, he also was an, an amateur astronomer and he made his own uh, telescopes 
and again, I wish I could show you these pictures. These things were bigger than he and Calmer. I mean, these were huge telescopes, and he ground his own lenses. Oh, my god. And when goodness. Halley's Comet came through, yeah, the, Halley's Comet came through, there was a great deal of just, you know, there were newspaper stories saying it was going to crash into the Earth, everyone was going to die, the Earth was <laughs> going to trail through the comet's tail, and that was going to kill everyone. There was just all sorts of sensationalized news reports. Hmm. But Omer... With his telescopes, he just put ads in papers and, and had these uh, watching parties and said, if you'd like to see Halley's Comet, you know, come here at this day, at this time. And they'd have these all-night watching parties to watch, you know, look through these telescopes and see Halley's Comet. So. That's incredible. Incredible. Oh, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm just, my, my mouth is hanging open because I can't believe what incredible, um, what an entrepreneur this guy was. And so ahead of his time. And when I would take people on tours of the museum, I would always start with Dr. Barnes and I'd be like, hey, you just won't believe this guy. And, <laughs> and people, you know, they'd be like, oh my gosh. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so he married a young woman named Mary Diamond. And if you've ever seen Diamond Insurance, that name may ring a bell. Oh, Her father, yes. Arthur Baker Diamond, started, along with his brother, started Diamond Brothers Insurance, which is still in business today. But he had an office on Main Street in Arcola, where the Diamond Brothers Insurance Company is now, still. And in 1893, um, he, there was a disgruntled employee who came into the office, and no one's really sure exactly what happened because Arthur Di Diamond's brother was in the office, and he could see what was going on, but he couldn't hear. Apparently, there were words spoken between Arthur diamond and this disgruntled employee and then guns were drawn and the disgruntled employee shot albert baker diamond through the chest oh. albert got off one shot but it just hit the man in his hand and albert you know collapsed and actually died of his wound the other the disgruntled employee went a couple doors down to the pharmacy and sought medical attention and then waited for the police to come but he was actually acquitted. He was never convicted of, of murdering. I, I mean, I guess because they both drew guns. It you know, was a shootout right there on Arcola's Main Street. Well, <laughs> in an office on Main Street. <laughs> so, yeah. But that was his wife's father. And she was not very old when that happened. But he and Mary seemed to have a very happy uh, marriage, except they had a couple of children who did not uh, survive infancy. And they never had any more children. Uh, which I guess they probably just couldn't. But in 1921, Dr. Barnes delivered a, a baby, a little boy, for a, a local woman in Arcola. And um, he and Mary were able to adopt that boy. Uh, the woman was not able to keep the boy for whatever reasons. That's lost to history and, and probably is none of our business anyway. But uh, they, they adopted the little boy and named Huxley. But uh, that was in 21, and Mary ended up dying in 1928, um, so Huxley was only seven. But Mary, everybody acquainted with this family seems to have had just like, you know, they were just amazing people. Mary was very political, and she had just come back from the June uh, Democratic Convention in Texas in, in June 1928, and she got very sick and had an operation, but she never recovered. 
And so in, uh, in November 1928, the election was going to take place, and Mary was very, very ill, but she made them take her in an ambulance to the polling place, and they allowed her to be brought out on a stretcher and vote, and then four days later, she passed away on November 8th. So, so Dr. Barnes and Calmer and Huxley, after Mary Diamond passed away, uh, they lived together for a brief period of time, and then Dr. Barnes remarried. But there is the incident where Dr. Barnes was shot, which we just really want to get into. In 1925, Dr. Barnes, his office was in in the local drugstore, which was, for people familiar with Arcola, where Errol's drugstore was for years and years and years. There was a drugstore there owned by a man named Landis Engel. And in December... 1925, these two young men came into the drugstore and they had a wood stove there and standing in front of the wood stove was Landis Engel and the president of the state bank, which was Thomas Lyons. And they were both sitting there warming themselves in front of the fire. And Dr. Barnes was there, but he was behind a partial wall where his desk and office was. Hmm. So these two young men came in and they were both brandishing guns. And one of them said, stick them up. And so apparently Tom Lyons raised his hands, but Mr. Engel did not. And so the second one said much more loudly, he said, stick them up. We mean business. And with mm-hmm. that, Dr. Barnes heard what was happening. And he reached in his desk drawer to get his gun. <laughs> so he <laughs> pulled his gun out and he was he was pushing his chair out to go around to see what was going on, but they heard his chair scraping on the floor. So one of the bandits came around the wall and shot Dr. Barnes. Gosh. And it went through his forearm and then into his body. And it, it was not, uh, it did not turn out to be, you know, life threatening, but it was, it did cause him a serious wound. So he went to the doctor or went to the hospital, had this taken out and then he saved the bullet. So, one of the <laughs> artifacts I was showing at the seminar the other day was the bullet that was taken out of Dr. Barnes's body. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so he remarried. He married a, a woman named Ruth Hopper. They got married in 34. She was 25 years his, his uh, younger than he was. But she was a nurse and um, she moved into the home and she became stepmother. I mean, obviously she was the stepmother, but she was very good to Huxley. Poor Huxley had lost his, you know, his mother when he was just seven. So, Hmm. um, in, uh, of course, when the war started in 1941, Huxley was drafted and Huxley was sent over to Europe and he was, he was acting as a, um, a forward, he was like sort of the liaison between his unit and he would go forward to see what was going on or to connect with other units. And in doing so, he ended up, he would often be pinned down by snipers and he ended up shooting 19 snipers. There's a, a very sad headline, you know, saying that he had shot 19 snipers. I mean, huh. thank God he did or he would not have mm-hmm. survived. And some of the people in his unit might not have survived, but you can imagine what that did to Huxley in his later years. Gosh. And then on one of his missions, he actually was, uh, he hit by artillery and lost his left leg. 
And so he earned a purple heart but lost his leg, and they sent him home. His father had actually died in April of 1944, but Huxley was training for D-Day, the Normandy landings, and if you were part of that mission, you were not allowed to leave because it was so super top secret. So he was not able to come home for his father's funeral either. So he came home and Huxley had a very, very difficult life after that. Um, I suspect he was suffering from what we now know as PTSD and uh, he just had a tough time. He married very briefly and it was a very sad marriage. Uh, Again, it's one of those things we don't really, I don't know that we'll ever know the truth. He and his wife were at a local bar one night and they got in a fight. They had been drinking and she left the bar and eyewitnesses say she threw herself under a truck and she was killed. So he never, he never did remarry. He moved to Mattoon and he drove a cab and he seemed to be just kind of a loner. He did have a good relationship with his stepmother who she tried to look out for him as much as she could, but he just, you know, he just, he suffered, he suffered for, you know, his service to his country. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Gosh. But Calmer had passed away before Dr. Barnes and, and that was a blow to him because they had been close all their life. And Elizabeth Barnes passed away. She had a stroke in 1895 and it was, she was uh, bedridden after that. And she passed away in 1901 and John Clinton Barnes passed away in Arcola in 1908. So just quite the fascinating family. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Those people must've been in total shock when you shared all that, all that information. Uh, well, it, I think it's it's one of those things that sounds so incredible. I think most people are sort of like, what, wait, what, really? <laughs> Did all of this really happen? I mean, it almost sounds like you're making it up because it's just so incredible. Yeah, it's one of those things, if you heard it on, if you saw it in a movie or something, you'd think, oh, that's beyond the pale. There's no way that could have happened, but uh, apparently it did. Yeah, it would seem like, yeah, okay, you went a little too far with that script because you just wouldn't (laughs) believe it. Jump the shark, as they say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, beyond credible. Well, that's it's absolutely a, a fascinating stories there. I just I had I had no earthly idea when I saw that you were going to speak and and I saw the names uh, Barnes and Elizabeth Barnes, Lizzie Barnes. I I had no idea that it was such extensive, so so, so such a deep layered story like that. Yeah, well, and then just Lizzie Barnes and the history there. When she passed away in 1901, the Chicago Inner Ocean had written an article about her, and they said that uh, they, that she was one of the longest, she had served as the longest female physician in Illinois, and that they believed her to be the first female physician in the state of Illinois. My goodness. How, how, how amazing. I just can't get over it. Um and to think they're just up the road from, you know, this all happened just a few miles from where I now live. So, uh, yeah, quite fascinating stuff. Well, and then John Clinton Barnes, when I was when I was researching him, I found all of these writings. I mean, if you wanted to look him up, you find all of these writings that he wrote about, you know, um, just all of his opinions. And and he really was an intelligent. They were just an extremely intelligent family, all of them. And I I'm sure... I don't know. They must have really seemed like something in their day because they were oh, very yeah. progressive thinking. And uh, 
That's a pretty I, I just really would have loved to have seen Dr. Barnes. I bet. I bet. What an incredible gene pool to have married into. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So uh, how many years do you think you've been digging into this family? I'm sure it's not always, but I know you, sorry, I know you have so many irons in the fire. Well, I, I write articles for the Arcola Record Herald history. Um, and so I, some stories like that one, you know, take a little bit longer because you're, there's so many things that you, you find and then you have to research, you know, some of them I'm, I'm able to do in a couple of weeks, but, uh, that one, that one did take me about a month to actually go through everything and find, but I get so excited, you know, when you find all those details and, you know, how Dr. Barnes ground his own lenses and invited all these people over to see the, the comet. Yeah, that, that's just so exciting. And Tolstoy. I mean, uh, these things are, they're incredible. It's just, uh, just hard to, hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine something like that happening in this day and age, but then back in that day, it's, uh, you know, I, I just guess we have, I have a tendency to think things were a little, other than the wild, wild west, I always think things were a little more sedate or a little more, a little more uh, calm around our small, our small rural uh, central Illinois prairie area. And I'm finding out a whole lot different than that. Oh, yeah. You find out Dr. Barnes had his, you know, his revolver right there in his desk and, you know, just a couple doors down, his father-in-law had been shot by somebody. I'm, Oh, it's remarkable. It is. I guess people are people all the time, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) They definitely are. And it sure makes for some good stories. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Now, Uh, I I think Dr. Barnes would make a great movie, though. Just the story of Dr. Barnes. Who would believe it? Yeah, really. Have you thought about doing anything like that or having going in that direction? Did you just have too much going on? You know, there there are people that would would love to have an interesting story like that. Yeah. Well, I, I do have some ideas. I, uh, there's so many stories, but I, my heart sort of, uh, sort of moves me towards military stories. So there's, oh, yeah. there's, there's a young man in Arcola that I, I have toyed with the idea of trying to write something a little bit more comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think his story should be told. It's kind of the story of America and, I just, uh, that's, that's where my heart lies. So. Cause did you, I don't remember if you shared that you had a, your father, you moved around a lot. Your father had a military background. Did you share that in the, in, in our beginning? I don't remember if you did or not. I'm, I'm still processing the stories. <laughs> yeah. I, I did a story for the Arcola record Herald about my father, because when we said, Oh, we were in Arcola. So I thought, well, you know, I'll talk about my father. He, he served in, uh, World War II, actually, he was he was a bit older than my mother, so he was in World War II in the army and landed on Omaha Beach on D-Day, and then he served with Patton. And then mm. he got out of the service and he was home for a couple of years and he joined the Air Force, and that's when he became a missileer. And then he went to England and he met my mother. People always ask me if my mother was uh, my mother was British, so they always say, "Oh, was she a, a war bride?" And I'm like, "No, no, that would have she was just a child during World War II." So, <laughs> but I have another great story for the Hinesboro area. If you're from Hinesboro, if you're living around the Hinesboro area, I have another great story for you. Yeah, please do. 
for Dolly okay. Ledgerwood. Have you ever heard of Dolly Ledgerwood? No. Yeah. So that's, that's <laughs> another, it's a long story, but another remarkable Hinesboro uh, story. Okay. Is it too long for, for tonight or would, be, would you come back and tell us that some other time? I would. Um, it, it has to do, she married a gentleman in Arcola and it was, it was a bit of a scandal because he was much older and he was wealthy. And then it involved a child that she claimed was his because he passed away just a few months after she married him. And she then announced that she had, was pregnant. And so there was all this speculation whether, you know, it was really his, whether she was really pregnant. And I mean, this is where it gets to be a long story. It turns out it was not, which she didn't even have a baby. She wasn't even pregnant. And she had gone to Canada and had convinced these, these nuns in a hospital, a Catholic hospital to take this baby from this young girl. And she claimed it was his so that she could claim part of his, you know, her, the the inheritance for this, from this man. So, Hmm. but it's, it's so bizarre because Hollywood actually made, or not Hollywood at that time, the silent movies were being made by, uh, you know, studios all over the U S and there was one in Chicago called the Salem studios and they made a silent movie with her in it. (laughs) <laughs> and about her story and uh, this was national news and uh, it was just very strange. wow wow what a <laughs> what a scandalous tale <laughs> oh, gosh yeah, well it was kind of sad because this this young woman that they told her her baby died hmm. and then you know, through various ways, she found out that maybe her baby did not die. There was one of the one of the nurses at the hospital felt guilty and had gone to her and said, your baby did not really die. The young girl was not married. So that's why they thought, well, we'll just take this baby. She's not married. And, you know, I guess they thought it would be OK. I don't know. It's reprehensible what they did to her. But um, she found out the baby was living. And so there was a a court case that made national news because this young girl wanted her baby back. And, and this Dolly matters was what she went by. Her name was Dolly Ledgerwood matters. You know, she claimed it was hers. And there was this, just this, you know, it was like the paparazzi of their day taking pictures of Dolly matters, who was very glamorous and, you know, was had photos taken of herself, just looking sad and you know telling her story, the silent movie that they made about her, uh, actually had a, a, a bit of a, uh, well, let's just say it wasn't really maybe uh, realistic. <laughs> it was made to make her look really good. And like she was this sad, poor woman who had her baby taken from her. And so you just don't know what goes on, do you? Well, yeah. So it's the, tw- the facts don't just, it's not a recent thing for uh, facts to get twisted. <laughs> That's been going on yes, for some time. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, Carolyn, this has been so much fun, and so I, I'm just fascinated by this story. I, these stories, I, any one of them is uh, very interesting, um, and I hope that you can come back and talk to us again about you know, maybe some of the other areas of interest that you have. 
I would love to. If you can stand to have me back on, I, I start <laughs> talking about people like Omer Barnes and I feel like I just, there I go and I'm off and running. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> people don't come, people don't uh, <laughs> tune in here to hear me talk. They hear it come, they tune in to hear people like you talk and cause you bring the interesting stories. All my, you know, my, my friends that listen, they've heard all my stories. <laughs> and other people that tune in, they, they don't want to hear my stories, I'm sure. Well, so Carolyn, how can people get a hold of you? Well, if anyone would like to hear my stories, uh, they can call me. My number is 217-235-4984, or they can email me. It's my first initial last name at consolidated.net. So C C L O Y D at consolidated.net. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, that I think this will bring this episode to a close of Life on the Illinois Prairie. And I hope that anyone who, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, subscribe, and you'll find it on most platforms. And I hope you'll come back and join us again. We try to have some pretty interesting stories on here. Uh, please be kind to one another. And thank you again, Carolyn, for coming on. Thanks for listening to Life on the Illinois Prairie, the undercurrents of our American life. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to Life on the Illinois Prairie wherever you get your podcast. Stay tuned for more stories, interviews, and updates. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming Dexter. Until next time. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.